0: It is nearly 12 o'clock, and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. On 100.1 FM, it is your public radio station, broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where we have fair skies and 34 degrees. Out at the airport, they are reporting 67% humidity, West winds to 14, gusting to 23, and 10 miles of visibility. Look for mostly sunny skies for the rest of the day with a high near 38. North winds, northwest winds to 15. Turning to the east after midnight tonight. Low around 29 overnight tonight with partly cloudy skies. And a 20% chance of snow tomorrow after 3 p.m. Otherwise partly sunny tomorrow with a high near 37. Coming up on the midday report, the US Coast Guard is expanding its fleet of icebreakers and at least one of those vessels could be homeported in Alaska. Governor Mike Dunleavy has unveiled his first proposed budget of his second term. And anchored school districts have decried the flat funding they've been getting for the last few years.
1: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The government gets a one week reprieve. President Biden has signed a bill that keeps agencies operating a little longer and gives Congress more time to forge a longer term spending deal. President Biden is urging veterans to sign up for expanded benefits offered by a new law that Congress passed earlier this year. NPR's Asma Khalid reports the president took part in a town hall today in his home state of Delaware.
2: This town hall was just one of some 90 similar events the administration is holding this week to spread the word about benefits available to veterans and veterans' families. The law Biden signed in August is thought to be the largest expansion of veteran health care benefits in decades.
3: And the benefits are real. The real benefits, like exposure screenings.
2: Screenings for veterans exposed to burn pits and toxic substances.
3: It means new facilities, new research, more health care workers at the VA hospitals.
2: The president urges veterans to go to the VA's website for information and guidance on what benefits they can seek. Asma Khalid, NPR News, the
1: White House. A legal victory for transgender student-athletes came today from a federal appeals court. NPR's Melissa Block reports the case involves transgender girls who competed in track at Connecticut high schools. The case was brought by four cisgender girls who said competing against two trans female athletes deprived them of a fair shot at statewide titles and athletic scholarships and violated Title IX. They sued for damages and to have the times of transgender athletes removed from the records. A district court ruled against the plaintiffs last year, and now a federal appeals court has agreed ruling that the cisgender athletes were not, quote, deprived of a chance to be champions, noting that they had in fact finished first in some events, including against the trans athletes. The court also cited the Supreme Court's landmark Bostock decision, which found that prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sex includes sexual orientation and gender identity. Melissa Block, NPR News. Ukraine says Russia Fired more than 70 missiles at multiple cities. From Kiev NPR's Julian Haida reports, officials say only three of those missiles managed to hit their targets in the capital.
2: Kiev's military administration says that the city withstood, quote, one of the largest airstrikes since Russia invaded in February. This comes just two days after a failed Russian drone raid on Kiev. Even though Ukraine's air force shot down the overwhelming majority of incoming cruise missiles, Ukraine's energy utility says the damage from today's strikes will take much longer to repair than usual. They said this is the 20th time Ukraine's grid has been attacked in the last two months. Kiev Mayor Vitaly Klitschko echoed officials in several other regions also hit by Russian attacks, telling his city's residents to expect prolonged outages of water,
1: heat, and the internet. Yulian Haida, Pierre News, Kyiv. This is NPR News. NPR News is presentada a usted en parte por la Providence Kodiak Island Centro de Asoramiento. Para una cita o más información, por favor llama al 907-481-2400. For
0: KMXT, I'm Terry Haines. The US Coast Guard is expanding its fleet of icebreakers and could be homeporting one of the vessels in Alaska. Icebreakers are built with thicker hulls and used to navigate the world's icy northern and southernmost waters. The U.S. Senate voted yesterday to authorize the National Defense Authorization Act for the upcoming fiscal year. On a call with reporters on Wednesday, Senator Dan Sullivan said the legislation appropriates $150 million towards buying and converting an existing icebreaker. The vessel would most likely be homeported in Juneau, according to Sullivan. Sullivan says he hopes it's the first of many to someday be based in Alaska. It should be a series of ports um, in our in our state that can home port uh, an icebreaker. but right now this has uh, huge i think news for our state the u s currently has two operational Arctic icebreakers, both based in Seattle. The Department of Defense announced plans late last year to build a new icebreaker at a cost of over $552 million. Sullivan says adding an icebreaker to Alaska's existing Coast Guard fleet would bring nearly 200 service members and hundreds of millions of dollars in infrastructure spending to the state. Language in the legislation would also cut down on the timeline for purchasing an existing icebreaker from more than six years down to one, according to Sullivan. Russia currently has the world's largest icebreaker fleet, which includes dozens more vessels than the U.S. Sullivan said adding to the fleet in Alaska is a top priority. Everybody in our state intuitively knows we need more icebreakers to promote our security, economic, environmental interests. And if you have icebreakers in America, they should be homeported in the Arctic. Both Sen. Sullivan and Sen. Lisa Murkowski voted in favor of the bill on Thursday evening. The final version outlines more than $850 billion in defense spending. It now heads to President Biden's desk to sign into law. Governor Mike Dunleavy unveiled the first proposed budget of his second term yesterday with about $1.8 billion less revenue than was expected for this fiscal year, the budget is smaller than last year's. The governor's plan is a first stab at the budget that will be head toward the legislature for debate during the session, which begins next month. This legislative session is a a new possibility for some some great solutions to to, uh, to some problems. So looking forward to working with the legislature and um, having some uh, uh, very uh, robust discussions on the future of Alaska. The governor proposed a 6% trim to the operating budget, which covers ongoing state programs and agencies. The proposed capital budget, which funds specific state projects, is down 62% from last year. Dunleavy is proposing a full statutory permanent fund dividend of about $3,800. Senate Majority Leader Kathy Giesel says she thinks the governor's plan is a good start. She's in favor of funding earmarked for professional housing in rural Alaska, tourism marketing for the state, and additional money for WAMI, a collaborative medical school program among states in the Northwest. However, she says she's concerned about the flat funding for schools and the size of the PFD given declining state revenue?
3: I focus on state services uh, as the best way to help folks. And if we need to um, really look at additional financial assistance, then we need to have it be targeted to the folks that need it most rather than just
1: throwing it to everyone.
0: Dunleavy also announced he will release a bill soon to pursue carbon sequestration, or carbon capture, as a new source of revenue for the state, though Geisel cautioned that any major carbon capture projects will take time to implement. Governor Dunlavey's proposed budget for next fiscal year keeps education funding for public schools the same as this year. Alaska school districts have decried the continued flat funding, saying it's leading to large budget deficits. Dunleavy says his proposal is just a jumping-off point for lawmakers to begin debate in the next legislative session. For me to put um, a number in the budget, some will say it's too little, some will say it's too much. So what we've done is we've put forth a budget here on December 15th to begin that discussion. Alaska schools are funded through what's called the Base Student Allocation, or the BSA. It's basically a dollar amount per student. Currently, it's around $5,900, the same number it's been since 2016. But because of inflation, flat school funding over the past several years essentially means that the money school districts have received has been worth less each year. That's something Dunleavy says he anticipates coming up in the legislature. We do understand and we look forward to having discussions with the legislature on what that education funding will look like uh, going forward. We, um, we certainly understand there's inflationary issues um, that need to be addressed. For the Anchorage School District, flat funding means a $48 million budget gap to fill. The school board is set to vote on preliminary cuts on Monday. Suggested cuts range from closing schools to cutting programs to increasing class sizes. Senator-elect Kathy Geisel says she thinks school funding will definitely come up in the legislative session. She says the per-student funding is a complicated formula, and she doesn't have an ideal amount right now.
3: It's so complex that it, it would take—it's it, going to take a lot of attention, and will take a lot of time uh, for the legislature to actually review it, understand it, and make the appropriate revisions
0: but we need to do it. In total, Dunleavy's education budget is slightly smaller than last year's, likely due to declining enrollment across the state. The first day of the next legislative session is January 17th. The Arctic Report Card came out earlier this week. It's the Scientific Community's annual report on the climate health of the region. This year, it includes a new chapter on the way climate change is impacting Alaska Native communities in the Arctic. And the chapter's authors are calling for more collaboration between scientists and indigenous experts. KTOO's Anna Canney has more.
2: In September, the remnants of Typhoon Murbach lashed the coast of western Alaska with 50-foot waves and hurricane-force winds.
0: Just changed the
3: environment in, in a way that we didn't expect it to happen.
2: Vera Kingakip Metcalf witnessed Murbach firsthand from her home in Nome. The storm brought severe flooding to communities along the Bering Sea. Hunting camps were wiped out, fall hunts were delayed, and power outages caused losses of meat that was already gathered. It's just one example of the way climate change is threatening Alaska Native communities in a rapidly warming Arctic. Metcalf and a team of more than 40 scientists and indigenous experts wrote about Murbok and other climate impacts in a new chapter for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's annual Arctic Report Card, which came out this week. Indigenous food systems and traditions in the Arctic are tied to a cold, icy environment. The science in this year's report card shows that those conditions are now harder to rely on. More rain and less ice are making food resources scarcer and harder to get to. Metcalf says sea ice. Siku in Yupik, characterizes the seasons in the Arctic.
3: It's a very powerful presence in our relationship with our world. It really defines our seasons and activities. And uh, right now, in here in Nome, we don't have sea ice yet, and it's the middle of December.
2: According to the report, sea ice continues to form later across the Arctic, and its summer extent in 2022 was much lower than the long-term average. That leaves coastal communities vulnerable to storms like Murbach. It also threatens food security.
3: Uh, traditional hunting seasons seem to be dissolving and blending together. You know, Hunter safety, our hunters are traveling further uh, with less sea ice and disruptive stormy weather during some of our hunting trips.
2: Changes in precipitation can threaten indigenous food systems, too. This year was the third wettest year on record for the Arctic, and more and more precipitation is coming as rain instead of snow. Freezing rain events are a special threat. The resulting ice layer can disrupt foraging for important species like caribou. Metcalf says she learned a lot from collaborating with scientific researchers on the report. But she adds that bringing the two knowledge systems together can be challenging. How this
3: actually happens is can be complicated because indigenous knowledge and science should not be used, for example, to verify each other.
2: One thing Metcalf and her colleagues emphasize is the importance of including more on-the-ground observations from indigenous knowledge holders in future reports.
3: Our own experts are living the environment, are there seeing the changes happening in our waters and our lands, and often are the first to report these unusual changes.
2: The chapter takes a more holistic approach than the rest of the report. It doesn't focus on one particular year. Rather, it acknowledges the compounding impacts of climate change.
3: It's a ripple effect. It impacts the people. It impacts their traditional lifestyle. And then it impacts what's coming the next
2: season. Jackie Catalina Schaefer is the Director of Climate Initiatives at the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. She's also a co-author on the new chapter. Despite the profound changes in the Arctic, both Metcalf and Schaefer say indigenous values around food prevail. We don't
3: say, um, and we definitely don't think it and put it out into the universe, that there's not going to be any berries. We hope, we live on
2: that thread of hope that there's going to be berries, whether they show up or not. Schaefer believes this new chapter in the Arctic Report Card is a way to infuse more of that hope into converging for important species like caribou. Metcalf says she learned a lot from collaborating with scientific researchers on the report, but she adds that bringing the two knowledge systems together can be challenging.
3: How this actually happens is can be complicated because indigenous knowledge and science should not be
2: used, for example, to verify each other. One thing Metcalf and her colleagues.
0: I apologize for that. That cut, cut out. Controversy over a logging project near Yakutat in southeast Alaska has intensified. The local tribe and archaeologists and others say a site that's being logged is home to centuries-old ruins that could provide clues into the history of southeast Alaska's indigenous people. Coast Alaska's Angela Denning has more.
4: Yakutat elder Valerie Demert says her ancestors, for hundreds of years, harvested the abundant salmon that returned to Humpback Creek every summer. I don't know how you could live here, grow up here, and not know. She's a council member for the Yakutat-Tlingit tribe. Just this past August, the tribe passed a resolution calling the site sacred and culturally historic. Elders like Demert and anthropologists say the tribe purchased the site from previous inhabitants hundreds of years ago. So Demmer says she was taken aback when she learned that the local native village corporation, Yak Tat Kwan Incorporated, had begun clear-cutting the forests around Humpback Creek. She says the company never publicly announced that its subsidiary, Yak Timber, planned to log the area. We had to find out
3: by seeing what was going on and then seeing some drone footage of it, in addition Mm -hmm. to pictures that were being taken.
4: In a December 8th letter to Yakutat Kwan, the tribe called on the company to stop logging the area. The tribe wants time to investigate the site.
3: We know we had a village there, and we know there are historical sites there, and we want Yakutat Kwan to stop and let archaeologists get in there before everything's destroyed.
4: Now there's physical evidence of the history, says the Alaska Heritage Institute. That's the regional Native nonprofit organization dedicated to preserving the history and culture of indigenous people in Southeast. A yak timber equipment operator found what could be several house pits and a series of parallel stone walls at the site being logged. That was at the beginning of December. The Institute announced the findings in a joint news release with the Yakutat Slingit Tribe and sea Alaska Corporation on December 15th. The groups called on Yak Timber to stop logging the area until it can be investigated.
3: The our cultural and spiritual dimensions of it. Uh, that that's really important to us.
4: Rosita Worrell is the institute's president and a PhD anthropologist.
3: The rock wall? To me I'm just so curious about what what is that? What kind of fishing occurred, you know, with that rock wall.
4: Sea Alaska Heritage is working with archaeologist Aaron Crowell with the Smithsonian Institute's Arctic Studies Center. Crowell believes the Yaktat site could date back 700 years. In the joint news release, he says, quote, A remarkable set of cultural features related to salmon harvesting appears to be preserved. He says it doesn't seem to be substantially damaged by the logging, at least not yet. Even before Humpback Creek, logging was controversial among Yakutat Kwan's shareholders so much so that yak timber announced october 4th it would dissolve and sell off its assets but later in the fall yak timber reversed course and started logging near humpback creek
3: yeah yak timber is is harvesting we've been harvesting
4: that's marvin adams ceo of yak timber on december 13th two days before sea alaska heritage announced their findings he says the site has never been documented as historic and was approved by the Alaska Division of Forestry after they inspected it in 1975. A 2007 letter from sea Alaska Corporation discussing historic sites did not identify the area either. After the findings were announced, Adams said he had not yet been formally notified of Humpback Creek's cultural significance. He said the company would follow all relevant laws and regulations, but declined to say whether yak timber would continue logging the area.
3: Obviously, we're not going to go over some historical site and destroy it. I think we all respect that. But right now, I have not been able to get any documentation
0: from the tribe or anybody else.
4: Worrell, the Sea Alaska Heritage President, says the tribal groups are working with Kroll and the state to see how they can investigate the site further. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning.
2: Output in the private sector keeps shrinking. I'm Novosafo with the Marketplace Minute. A measure of business activity from S&P Global declined for the sixth month in a row in December, with businesses citing weaker demand, inflation, and higher interest rates. Manufacturing activity fell to a a two-and-a-half-year low, according to the data firm. The European Union has approved its ninth round of sanctions on Russia, targeting what the EU says is Russia's military-industrial complex – the EU is also expanding an export ban on aviation equipment, such as aircraft engines and drones. Safety regulators are examining reports of GM's cruise autonomous vehicles stopping suddenly on the streets of San Francisco. The city is the first place the driverless cars are ferrying paying passengers. I'm Novasafo with a Marketplace Minute.
4: What if accessing your personal and family immunization records was as easy as checking your phone? The Docket app is a secure option that allows Alaskans to quickly access their immunization records. Need immunization records for school or travel? Docket makes it simple and is available for download from the App Store or Google Play. Learn more at vaccinationrecords.alaska.gov. Paid for by the Alaska Department of Health.
2: This is the Island Messenger. A look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements.
0: Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Friday. It is the 16th day of December, the year 2022. The sun rose today at 9:48. It will set again at 4:21. That will give us 6 hours and 33 minutes of glorious daylight a loss of 50 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record high for this date was 48 degrees, set in 1921, and our record low was zero, set in 1997. Currently, 34 degrees, fair skies, west winds to 14, gusting to 23 out at the airport, where they also have 10 miles of visibility. The Weather Service is expecting mostly sunny skies for the rest of the day, with a high near 38, northwest winds to 15, Becoming east after midnight tonight. Partly cloudy overnight tonight with a low around 29. And a 20% chance of snow after 4 p.m. tomorrow. But partly sunny skies until then with a high near 37. And east winds to 10. Looking at our local tides, we have an outgoing tide. Our next low tide will be at 1.44 p.m. and be 3.5 feet here on the east side. Followed by a high tide at 9.20 p.m. Of six feet. Over on the west side, your next low tide will happen at 2:33 p.m. and be 5.3 feet in Larson Bay, followed by a high tide at 8:01 p.m. of 9.9 feet, and your middle of the night low tide in Larson Bay will be at 2:22 a.m. and be 3.3 feet. Mariners, here's your forecast for Marmot Island to Sitkanak, Kodiak's east side. Small craft advisory through tomorrow. Northeast 15 and seas to 10 feet today. East 20, seas to 9 feet tonight. And East 25, seas coming down to 8 feet tomorrow. Over in the Shelikoff Strait, small craft advisory through Saturday as well. Northeast 25 today and seas to 9 feet in the Shelikoff. Same forecast for Tonight. And for tomorrow, northeast 30, seas to 10 feet, same forecast for tomorrow night and Sunday. But on Sunday, the seas are expected to come down to 7 feet in the Shelikoff. Well, if you still haven't purchased or otherwise acquired your Christmas tree, today is the day. The Kiwanis Christmas Tree Sales, having a one-time-only opening to sell their 18 remaining trees. They also have cedar garland by the foot, and they have five mantelpieces left. They're going to open up at 4 p.m. and stay open till 7 p.m., and that's at the usual site at 111 Bartell Avenue. That's today only, starting at 4. Probably should get there early. Also tonight, KMXT's annual Skate with Santa. It's coming up tonight. It's a free open skate with Santa and his elves, and there will be lots of hot cocoa for everybody. The skate shack will be open too, and there will be free skates for anyone who needs them. Tomorrow, it is time to join your friends and neighbors to watch the Kodiak Fleet light up the holiday lights and parade through Near Island Channel. That's happening from 6 to 9 p.m. tomorrow. If there are high winds, and there are not supposed to be, They will still be available for viewing in the two harbors, St. Paul Harbor and St Herman Harbor, but things are looking good for the the boat parade right now tomorrow six to nine p m in the channel. If you need more information, contact the Kodiak Maritime Museum at nine oh seven four eight six zero three eight four or you can email them at info at kodiak dot o r g Meetings coming up in the borough include the planning and zonings regular meeting. That's happening in the borough assembly chambers on December 21st. And on December 28th, the Solid Waste Advisory Board will be having a regular meeting. That's happening at the borough chambers at 5.15 p.m. on December 28th. And on Thursday, December 29th, the assembly will be having a work session. That's happening at the borough assembly chambers at 6.30 p.m. All meetings are open to the public, and meeting packets are available at the Kodiak Island Borough website. Contact the Borough Clerk if you have any questions at 907-486-9310. Unfortunately, due to construction, the Kodiak Fisheries Research Center's touch tank will be closed today. They apologize for any inconvenience, and hopefully it will be back open next week.
2: Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org. Oh, oh,